0: the
1: Welcome to the space cave, a big warg to all of you space burgers out there making it through the pandemic, looking at the numbers every day, wondering, particularly if you live in the United States, what in the hell is going on? But hopefully you're finding productive things to do. Maybe listening to soothing music, calming sounds, maybe a podcast that takes your mind off it a little bit. However, in this episode, we're checking back in with Dr. Alex Platt. Again, his views are those of his own. They do not represent any institution he is affiliated with, although I don't think he says anything particularly um, controversial. Anyway, it's worth saying. Hopefully, reason, logic, sound thinking, those sorts of things will keep your mind on it but also calm you a little bit let you look at things practically and hopefully this will shed some light give us a little bit more information about what's going on what we can look forward to things we can take out of it that are positive etc so anyway here's a check-in with dr alex platt hey hey buddy how are you
2: i'm doing all right how are you been
1: uh same as everyone well, he looks like you uh, have been maintaining haircuts that's impressive
2: I did a uh, video chat session with my wife's hairstylist, <laughs> and she walked me through how to use a set of wall clippers to give myself a trim.
1: <laughs> well, it looks good. It looks professional. She did Why, that. thank you. Yeah, she did a nice job. I used to do that myself. I remember sitting there when I was a kid, I would get... Uh, like uh, high and tight, sort of Top Gunish flat top haircuts all the time, and I remember watching, being like, I could do this, and so I started, especially like when I was in college and short on funds, I would, uh, I would do that. I would like look in the mirror and then yeah. just with a comb, like I don't think it's right. the back is really tough, but the sides aren't that bad. The sides aren't that bad. The back's a little nerve
2: wracking. <laughs> Had a setup going in the bathroom with like. Three mirrors, and uh, I could look in this one. I could look in that one, bounce off that one, and it's the kind of thing where you get a pretty good view of the back of the head. But by that time, you have to try to figure out if you're looking in an odd or even number of mirrors to figure out if you move which way to move your arm. And
1: yeah, I, I you know, if people have like weird innate abilities. I mean, that's that's pretty common that people can. Uh, you know, like whether they're able to see words and then immediately create palindromes or different like arrangements of the words out of them. I'm sure there's a word for that, but, uh, and then people are really double jointed and flexible and there's all these weird atypical there's human There's all
2: things. sorts of ways people get wired, isn't
1: it? Yeah. And I, I don't know that one of them is being able to look in the mirror and accurately move your hands. So you can cut your own hair. I think everyone goes, it is. there, no,
2: there no, are no, people no. that can it do is. it. My my mother is one of these people. Oh, wow. Who has uh, enough time, enough difficult time sort of telling left from right in daily life, like can write forwards and backwards, upside down in mirrors, um, huh. has to sort of stop and pay attention to make sure she doesn't, so that it doesn't sort of screw up for <laughs> uh, regular writing. I mean, right? It's... And you can sort of see it, too, that this is how you go from sort of normal language processing to dyslexia, Yeah. right? Things just, you know, being able to keep things in the right order and manipulate stuff in space. Um, I had a a friend in college, a brilliant mathematician, and he would play with us in the student orchestras. He'd play uh, as a pianist. And it was the kind of thing where he was incredibly useful to have around in case people were absent and like all of a sudden today you don't have a trombonist or a violinist. Yeah. And he'd take the trombone score and he'd put it up here and he'd take the violin score and put it up here. And he'd be sight reading the two scores in parallel, playing one with each hand and transposing the trombone one into uh, C clef because
1: they're, Written Holy differently,
2: rap and yeah, and you go, yeah, like, okay, this, yeah, not wired the same.
1: The wiring is such a weird term because if you. I think when I've heard lectures and people talking about, like I heard this one where this guy was saying, you know, like a car being wired up or anything else being wired up. If we had cars that were always going off the road, we would put them in a garage. And then the humanitarian side of that is like, well, we can't think of people that way. However, when people are doing really harmful things to society and we would say, well, they're wired up incorrectly. It takes away a certain amount of free will. It makes us kind of go, if question's like what we can be proud of and or feel, some level of uh, accomplishment about ourselves other than thinking like, I'm just wired this way. Everything I've ever done in my life is just because I can't transpose the trombone part or even play the trombone. Let it- and when I think of someone being able to do that, it's like a superpower. And then I go, oh, oh yeah. you know, like what are the deficiencies that person has? What are, There's gotta be something that was uh, missing, not th- entirely, but like, if it's like a video game and you have like full bars of, Whatever that, charisma, and then this, and music, and math skills. What's yeah. what's missing? There's got to be one that's a little on the low end.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that, right? There's so many dimensions on which people can excel and uh, lag, and right, you, you can't max them all out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, if you're picking like a fighter, if you're scrolling through, it would be so fascinating to see how our friends all look. You know, if there was like an accurate like, oh, that's their score. Oh, that makes sense. Wow. Or other people are like, they're surprised. You know, when you're playing a racing game, some cars, and I haven't played in years, but I remember like, you know, scrolling through the cars you can play And there would be one where, like, oh, the power is off the charts or the turning or the handling or the acceleration or braking. And then every now and again, you scroll to a car, we're like, it's not really good at any of them. But maybe they're all <laughs> right. just kind of in the middle. I'd be so curious to see that, like, juxtaposed with our friends. We're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. This person is not particularly great at anything. But, boy, they're the best.
2: Yeah, you know, there's this really interesting uh, field of sort of Statistics and optimization theory. Um, you know, an awful lot of the time, if you're uh, you're trying to get the best something, right? Mm-hmm. And this is usually really easy to do and identify if you only have to be the best at one
0: thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because you just sort of rank everybody and you pick the best one. Yeah. Um, or, or you predict how well everybody's
2: going to do this thing. And you pick the one that has the best prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe there could be a trade-off between, um, you know, ceiling and ability to get there or something. But um, it's really easy to quantify. As soon as you start saying, well, we'd like to be good at a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, the, the math becomes... Far less well defined. Um, But what's interesting is you can certainly talk about being worse. Mm -hmm. uh, And in just this way. So, um, right, I want uh, to get the best um, soybean seed to grow in the field, um, which means I want it to um, do well In lots of, I wanted to not use much water and grow really fast.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, if I find something that uses more water and grows slower, that's the wrong one. (laughs) And for anyone that uses a particular amount of water, the one that grows fastest is gonna be better. Mm -hmm. And so you can start drawing these sort of boundaries. You say, all right. I haven't yet even begun to figure out how much I care about the one or the other. But I can tell you that um, these plants are all sort of extremes of, given how good they are in one dimension, they're the best in the other dimension. Mm -hmm. And everything else is below that curve and is suboptimal. And we're going to get rid of those. Yeah, Stop talking about it
1: what if one Uh, like the curve what if it comes really close to it like how do you you have to draw a line where you say this is too much water and this is not growing fast enough it's out but there's probably one that's pretty close where it's like you were the last one out the door you're pretty close but you're just yeah
2: i right so exactly how you draw that line is um usually pretty fuzzy
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um
2: And especially since things don't sort of line up exactly and you're not, even when you sort of take a slice through it and say, okay, apples to apples, I'm only going to look at the water dimension or I'm only going to look at the rate dimension. Things never line up exactly right. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always a little wiggle here. So, you know, how wiggly do you want that boundary to be uh, or will you allow it to be? How much do you want to smooth it out? And, and how far off of it are you willing to go um, are all things that go back into making those things um, pretty subjective. Yeah. Even when you're being pretty rigorous about being quantitative about, all right, I'm going to define all my terms and I'm going to measure everything. And then, oh, well, this guy's sort of good enough, maybe we'll keep in.
1: Yeah, the subjectivity, I would imagine, especially with <clears throat> species of, like, say, soybeans or something, something you're growing, even if you have generations and you have, well, time after time, this field produces the most with the lowest amount of water and the most rapidly. And then, like, every sixth generation, this one goes crazy and outpaces it, what is going on? There would always be some oh, kind of totally. anomaly or something. So how do you, how do you it, is there anything in this field that is definitive and like, yep, you can set your watch to it. This one will always be the best if def- by our defined parameters.
2: So um, yes and no, right? You can build as much of that stuff into your model what's the probability distribution over the outcome instead of saying it is going to give you this much yield for this much water in this much time, Mm -hmm. you can give everything a probability distribution and a range and say, well, let's measure it and quantify it. It's 90% chance to be this higher, higher and a 10% chance that it's going to be off in this quadrant. Um, And you can build all of that uncertainty into a model. Uh, If you want Mm -hmm. Um, Right Part of the problem is You know It was complicated enough When we defined the model With just two terms (laughs) Right Yeah And now all of a sudden We've got Two terms Plus a bunch of uncertainties And probabilities To average over um, That the model's gotten Even bigger and nastier Yeah Uh, So they get Awfully hairy Awfully quick uh, y- y- even when you're doing this.
1: Yeah. But you, but in that hairiness, there's, there's at least good candidates to choose from where you're not mistakenly like choosing something at the very bottom to the, to the head scratching kind of reaction of everyone around you. Like what, why that one? We can all agree. Like we're, we're dealing with a fuzziness at this top percent and then we'll go, oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. It's, um, th- that's really where the big power and it often comes from. is like, these guys are the losers, let's drop them. <laughs> and then we can argue about which of these valid, good choices um to pick. Yeah. And and once you're in that kind of space, you're never really gonna even know retrospectively, uh, I should have gone with this other one. Yeah. Um so you're all good. <laughs>
1: You can't, you can't predict those things, too, if you did move on from one and then, say, number two, it one, it can't speak, but if there was this feeling that it could be like, oh, if you'd only chosen me, you'd see, in eight generations from now, I will be, I'm going to adapt, I'm going to have some mutations that make me far superior. There's no reason to really think about those things. And I was thinking, like, in terms of, and I think this probably applies to the way people nowadays have such a difficult time in any way associating themselves or allowing scientific logic or reasoning or method to get into their lives because it goes against what they want to believe. And so the subjectivity, I think people that are dating a lot, you start to get into that that murky hairy like well, this person's really nice but they're not there's something missing this person's really beautiful but they're missing this this person is really accomplished and organized and they're friendly but they, they don't make me laugh this person makes me laugh but they don't have their stuff together and on and on and you're like the video game characters or whatever else you're you're dating and you're finding your way through and then you meet someone and you and I are both with people that we would consider our people, like, oh, I found this this one. Definitively in this uh, experiment, if you will, we found the one result that is way above the rest. So it's not even like a hairy murky situation. However, what if someone on paper pulled out a binder and was like, well, here's the data and you're actually with the number seven and you'd go, no, no, no. I have my heart, my feelings, my emotion tells me this. And they go, yeah, I know that's what you think, but, but going scientifically, you're, you're not with your number one person. You'd go, I don't care what science says. I know what I believe. And then we'd be just like these climate change deniers and people like that. We want to believe something and therefore we're, we're willing to ignore something that could be called science in that situation, in this hypothetical situation. And I
2: would say, man, number seven, I'm doing
1: awesome. <laughs> That's true, out of a planet of eight billion. Yeah, seven's pretty Yeah, great.
2: well, cool. number seven man it's like I only dated what 10-15 people and I got to number seven that's incredible
1: yeah that is pretty good the odds there are good
2: right I mean that's that's one of these things where you know okay you can chase some unobtainable optimum where you can say I'm really happy yeah and now I don't have to be investing in an algorithm anymore I can (laughs) I can move on and do something else with my life.
1: Yeah. Is that what we're all... Because people would call something like that settling, but if you settle for something that makes you really happy that you wouldn't change, all you're settling for is you're settling that the quest is over to find this happiness that comes without any level of... I don't even know what it would be. Like Even if you're moderately disappointed that they... Uh, left their plate next to the sink and didn't put it in, would you go, oh, number seven, number one doesn't do this. I mean, that's a crazy sort of...
2: Well, is there, is there any guarantee that number one doesn't also do that?
1: <laughs> right.
2: Right? Number one is not flawless. Number one is just, uh, you're not going to do any better.
1: Right, yeah. So that that wow. makes it, that whole murky hairiness you're talking about make a lot more sense that one through eight or ten or or, or two hundred are really bunched in there in a way where does it give you confidence then to know like you can take any one of these and you're going to, you're going (laughs) to have like a successful result.
2: Right. And they're, you know, they're not going to be the same. They will be on this, uh, on this sort of threshold, uh, of things where like, yeah, the other people are worse, but there can be all sorts of different combinations of ways to be good. And, uh, once, once you're sort of on that envelope, um, yeah, just try to get
1: into the envelope, <laughs> try to get in the good part of the envelope and that where you've eliminated the losers, at least that's probably a big thing where right. people, people date losers over and over and go, why, why do I do this? And then they go to therapy and they find out maybe it has to do with someone in their life or a parent or someone, some sort of behavior that they're subconsciously bringing into their life. And then once they sort that out and go, okay, look for these red flags, then you can start eliminating losers and I don't know, I really feel for anybody that's just continuously like still experimenting, still trying to find the top 200 or 20 or whatever we've eliminated the hairiness to.
2: So this, um, if I may, uh, the person in my life is Michelle Balloon, Mm -hmm. um, who is releasing an album uh, on the 31st of July called Permanent Hat coming out on a special thing, Records, um, and everybody should go buy it and stream it and all those good things.
1: Yeah, we'll get her on the show. Get her to talk about it at length, because she's... uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a while since I chatted with her, especially with um, medical changes in her life and being, being a, a parent and all kinds of stuff since we last uh, podcast, I think. So that'd be great. But yeah, you said yeah. July 31st, Permanent Hat?
2: July 31st, Permanent Hat.
1: Sweet. Michelle's as yeah. funny as they get. So go get that album. I, and I, I'm not a liar on this show. I don't go, oh, go get this thing. And then you get it. And you're like, that was awful. I only promote stuff I genuinely believe in. And Michelle Balloon is as funny as they get. So get Permanent Hat on July permanent 31st. Hat. Michelle yeah. Um, yeah, I had, well, two things I wanted to talk about. One of them yeah. is catching up on the virus and the pandemic at large. The other thing yeah. is a little less comfortable. And I didn't pref you in our email, preface you in our emails and like, hey, I want to ask you about this thing, but I figured you'd be a good source. And I don't think it's a touchy subject in regard to science, but overall it is something... Um, that, that certainly is like um, a hot-button issue and and that being like the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests around the country and approaching that from a more scientific kind of genetic uh, point of view to see how silly racism is, I thought would be sure. worthwhile. So maybe we'll first get into the pandemic stuff and then if you're up for it, we can tackle that a little bit. Yeah, to. Okay, cool. Uh, so last time we were talking about... Um, Oddly, my university sent out uh, They send out this magazine every now and again with just kind of things that s- the student body and or uh, alumni have been working on or are working on, and there was a lot of research on bats and zoonotic uh, viruses, and like you were talking about, the, vi- the sort yes. of reservoir that they float around with that we can't right. comprehend why it's not harmful to them and how it would get into... And it was very, um, like you described it, like an easy progression to see how this sort of thing happened and, and frankly should happen way more. And, and it's still frustrating to see so many people going, oh, I just wish we knew how it started. Like, there's a want, again, going back to like science says this, but I feel, and I believe this was started in a lab somewhere and it had to have these.
2: Right. And it's, it's one of these things where, and there's, there's two different versions of the started in a lab mm-hmm. story. Right. Um, there's the conspiracy one, which says um, a hostile government was trying to engineer a bioweapon um, and either did it successfully or released it accidentally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, there's really no reason that this would happen or um, to, s- to sort of spend any time worrying about this. Mm. Um, it's not how you go about it. It's not <laughs> what happened. There would be no reason to do
0: this.
1: I also um, saw a thing from um maybe they were a microbiologist or something, but they were saying like there's something about like the S gene and the attachment and like how absurd a coronavirus itself is to use as this path as this
2: tool for pandemic. You know, I, pandemic. I, you know, you're... You don't start a pandemic as uh, biological warfare. <laughs> you got to do something contained, right? Yeah. Let's start with the epidemic, leave the pandemic to nature. Um, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. No. Um, the version of started in a lab that could make sense is you had a regular biological research lab studying bad viruses because we already knew that they're dangerous and Mm -hmm. we knew that they're out there and we know that they are potentially harmful. Um, and we want to learn more about them. And it is tough to maintain a biologically secure laboratory, Mm -hmm. um, at least in this country. And I believe this is a global standard. Um, biological laboratories, um, are, ranked by um, uh, BSL, I think it's biological security level or biosafety level, uh, one through four. and Maybe there's a zero, um, depending on what you're working with and uh, how dangerous it is. Um, and dangerous not just in what it does if it gets to you, but um, how uh, transmissible mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I've worked with up to I think BS two labs um, working on malaria, mm-hmm. um, where yeah, it's kind of nasty stuff, and you got to be careful. Um, but you're not going to um, sneeze and cause a pandemic. Yeah. Um, right, and so it goes up to uh, four, which is you know the guys who are working on smallpox and uh, and things. Um, and you know, and these are big deal labs with big deal security. Um,
1: these are like full on hazmat suits, and then you walk into a pressurized like decontamination yeah, yeah, yeah. chamber. Yeah, yeah,
2: right. Um, and you know, they're still not foolproof, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not foolproof when we do it in this country, and they're not foolproof when they do them in other countries. And so, you could certainly imagine a scenario where and. Entirely humanitarian, reasonable uh, research project results in an escaped uh, respiratory virus. Uh, It's it would be regrettable, Mm -hmm. and there's still no evidence that that's what happened here. Uh, Yeah, the uh, you know it's it's hard to tell exactly what goes on uh, in Chinese research, um, and. But there's still no real good reason
0: to disbelieve the official story that um, it made
2: a direct jump from wildlife uh, through these wet markets into humans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just um, had a and
2: that it was
0: yeah.
1: I just had kind of a tangential thought that humans spreading out for whatever reason it's kind of been in our instinctual nature from the beginning probably helped humans not die off immediately in that bats have been around forever and and us not having great methods back then, or even knowledge how much to cook, if at all food and theoretically a little group, a colony, if you will, of humans catching a bat and someone inevitably get, and these viruses have to have been around forever and stumbling upon a little group being like, and there's 50 people here all dead. What happened? But they couldn't travel to the next group of humans rapidly enough where like they almost accidentally social distance where just that cluster would die. That must have happened in human history, right?
2: I mean, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, one of the major driving forces in human history has been this tension between the real advantages of uh, congregating in major civilizations and um, infectious disease. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And whether there's zoonotic viruses or whether it's uh, cholera wiping out your city because of the sewage treatment or or just the sort of person-to-person transmission that, um, yeah, it's a sort of decided pension uh, within human history of how much are you going to do the little tribal thing and how much are you going to do the uh, sort of let's all... Pitch in together and build a megacity, and uh, and and have jet flights between them, and um, and it's uh, it's very clear that you know part of the ability to build major civilizations has been the ability to uh, deal with the kinds of infections that that spread through them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, if, and deal with it just seems like such a strange thing because how? Well, but there's many so many
2: ways to deal with all sorts of different things, right?
1: But um, I mean, I'm thinking early you on can when treat
2: them, you can um, take the pump handle off the uh, the bad water source. You can enclose your uh, sewers. You can figure out how to wash your hands. Um, you but can think, develop drugs. You can develop vaccines. There's so many ways to deal with infections.
1: No, no, no. I, I, have, I get I'm, I'm thinking more of like us learning all those steps. Think of like even when language was limited and, and science didn't exist. You're, you're just kind of cruising along with your group. You and your tribe are walking along and then someone is sniffling or sneezing or they're, they're sweating profusely from a fever And what does the group do? Do you just leave them there? I'm so curious what human reaction was early, early on. Did the whole entire tribe die or did people kind of start figuring out like, hey, you know how we can make a fabric or let's put some leaves over our faces or when was the first knowledge of like, go over there to the creek and at least kind of like just splash off your hands. When did we figure these Uh, things out? It must have been so many poor handlings of viruses prior.
2: I mean, sure, you look at, The idea that a doctor should wash his hands before operating um, is such a modern (laughs) concept.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? It's this guy named Semmelweis. It was just a few hundred years ago. um, That, um, you know, you certainly, there's a lot of sort of innate uh, propulsion to Things that can make you sick Right mm-hmm. You see someone covered in Oozing sores With bad smells coming out of them Like you don't need to know Anything about Viruses or bacteria Or yeah. anything to go That's disgusting, I'm staying away mm-hmm. um, So there's a You know, and this Extends to This uh, Body of water smells gross I'm not going to drink it, yeah, um, and you can get pretty far with just these basic instincts <laughs> of you know here's gross stuff, I'm staying away, yeah, and you know, and that's the kind of thing that really sort of lets society get as far as it did um, because you know you have to get so deep into germ theory and disease factors to get any of these answers right about what's going on and then to be able to address them um and that's only happened so recently in human history Mm -hmm. that everything else has been kind of seat of the pants um maybe you'll try some treatments they're probably bogus but because of the fact that yeah you can tell to pay attention and stay
1: away um is really the important bit. <laughs> I'm glad we live in a time because we can always look at the kind of dystopian technological oppression we sort of feel or the... On and on. All the things that induce anxiety and all these things now. But being aware of a pandemic and being able to spread the information as effectively as we can, it's strange now that the glitch comes from humans. It comes from people like not wanting to wear masks. You know, the the thought of having a scientist on at this point really to talk about the virus is kind of just going like, wear a mask, wash your hands, stay away from people. That's it. We, We all kind of know these simple things that would eliminate it. And then humans become the more risky thing at this point, way more than the virus of, I don't need to wear a mask. I was born and all this crazy shit. Like that is, that makes this time so unique. I don't know. Was this happening in 1918 as well? It, it, who knows? But it seems unlikely.
2: I think it was a bit of it, right? I mean, uh, you know, I've read the old newspaper clippings about the, uh, um, the parades in Philadelphia and uh, and tons of extra people getting sick. And and so clearly there's, you know, particularly when you have people who stand to gain money or power from telling people not to worry about this stuff, not pay attention. uh, They will. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know when things work out is when people there are enough people saying, "Well, no, don't listen to that it, just pay attention and you will be okay, but um you gotta hold on for a minute,
1: yeah,
2: uh that things work out and they work out pretty well, you know you you look at these uh I was so uh, disheartened read the uh article in the Atlantic last week about the view from France they were saying you know, life is entirely back to normal here, except for the fact that there's no American or Russian tourists. (laughs) And, you know, and we're going on, what is this, month five, six? I don't even, when did we, right? um, And we're still sitting at home because nothing's actually changed.
1: If Uh, anything, we're setting records for the amount of, the, the way we've put it through this lens where it's somehow fine as a country to have 30 to 50,000 new cases a day, to have hospitals at pretty high capacity, and then a guy saying, you know, those, a lot of those hospitals in Texas that's not even, it's like 85% not COVID. And then it, what person would lo- hear that and go, oh, yeah, just like every summer? Just like every summer when the hospitals in Texas are notoriously full for no reason. You're right, it's just a standard summer. There, there can't be any reason why they're jam-packed and there's very limited ICU space. We are, we are that country to the rest of the world. It's funny to me when like, California's laughing at Florida and Texas, and then they're laughing at back and forth, you guys did that, you were scared, you weren't scared, you got And the rest of the world's just looking at us like, look at these idiots. Look at how chaotic they are and... Th- Get it under control, and we're just ramping back up. It's embarrassing.
2: Yeah, and it's and it's and it's hard, and it's sad. Like we we put in enough individually. We've put in enough effort that we should be doing really well by now. Yeah. Um, right. The, the people in France didn't quarantine harder, um, <laughs> but and there's certainly plenty of sort of weird retrograde um, Yahoo's all over the world. Um, so we're not really unique that way. Mm-hmm. But to get this far and not have actually made any progress, because during this time, nobody said, okay, let's actually make sure we have enough tests so we can test everybody. Let's make sure we've got, uh, Uh, masks on everybody who needs to go out, let's maybe not open the bars yet Mm -hmm. Um, and that nobody's willing to say that means that even though we've done all the work that we can do, that you and I can do like we're not actually in a different position than we were five months ago
1: Yeah, it's just incredibly disappointing and disheartening because I feel like you're probably the same. You know, you're in, a, you're in a, a big city and people that I know that live outside of the big city go, oh man, you must be worried. And I go, when I go outside, 90% of people are wearing masks. And if not, they're really walking in a wide berth around each other. There's, there's, very, there's no like, hey, shake my hand or people running out of their way to get up right in your face and talk to you. Everyone's pretty respectful of the virus itself and yet there are still cases in LA County, and which just means that either that's not working and or there's a large contingent of people that are still like, you know what? This is all blown out of proportion continuously for five months now, still just going like, yeah, my friend had it, it wasn't that bad, I'll be fine. No regard for people that are immunocompromised, no regard for healthcare workers. And we just keep like beating our heads against the wall. And then it's embarrassing that we need leadership. Because you would think like the people in the community hearing the facts or from scientists, et cetera, and going like, okay, got it. We wouldn't really need to hear from the powers that be or an administration. And yet you have these rallies in Tulsa and Arizona and people asking like, hey, you keep saying respect state authorities and yet you push through and did these. And their response isn't like, yeah, sorry, that was dumb. It's, well, it's in the constitution you can peacefully assemble. That's maddening that leadership would be Saying something that dumb,
2: I, and and at the same time preventing actual policies from going through to help things. Mm. And I you know I've got a seven year old who would like to go into second grade uh, in September. Yeah, um, and you know we still don't know what that's going to look like. Um, it's just a few weeks away now, and they're saying, well the three options are it's going to look like normal school or it's going to be, uh, entirely remote or somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about as much as we know at this point. Yeah. Uh, and right. There's no, the, the, there's as much virus in the city as there was when they shut down the schools five months ago or, I don't, can't even count anymore. Um, and nothing's really changed. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have drugs. We don't have vaccines. We don't have the virus at such low levels that we're testing everybody and quarantining the individuals who uh, have the disease. So we're not actually in a different place, um, except that we've started opening things up again. Yeah. I mean, I, I buy that you sort of have to, but, um,
1: but you also can't. <laughs> it ju- again, to go back to the analogy of like the rest of the world watching us, it's as if the entire world, I mean, maybe each country represents a house and each house started to have some smoke in a room. And the worldwide response was, Hey, all the houses are having this infant, this smoke, You emit a little bit of kerosene from your mouth. You carry it with you. You breathe it out a little bit. It can be like wafting off your clothes. Just stay home. Just stay home and we will ensure that this smoke doesn't turn into a roaring fire. Some places it did turn into fires, other places went, like, oh, okay, we'll trust you. And then we just kept, people just kept having to peer in that room and kept adding just little doses of kerosene to where like the whole house, not, is not engulfed in flames currently, but we're all, we can see the flames and then we're having to make decisions like, okay, we're gonna send our kids in there, right? We're just, we're not gonna try to put it out anymore. We've given up on that, but they can they can breathe through the smoke. It's barely any smoke, get in there. That's how dangerous it feels to me. It feels idiotic. You can't bring peanuts to school, but you can go in with a fucking pandemic happening. What is that? What is this?
2: It's, uh, it, it's really, I got the, uh, email. I work for a large university here. Um, and they've been incredibly supportive. Um, I, I entirely acknowledge my privileged position of, uh, having been told, you know what, work from home, don't worry if your productivity's taking a hit. We got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get the email today. You know, well, um, for people trying to start coming back into the lab, our suggestion for child care is here's an app where you can try to find some neighbors who have similar parenting styles and COVID hygiene practices and maybe they can watch your kids.
1: Oh, my God! Uh, right? I mean, this is the sort of...
2: Right? I mean, talk about not having the advantages of uh, a congregated society. Um, you know, this isn't the trade-off between society and disease. This is we sort of lost our society to the disease.
1: Yeah. I was watching oh, the... Uh, right, so, What's what's that? Yeah. I was saying I, I um I saw the guy, the main dude or at least a figurehead from the FDA on TV the other day just refusing in any way to even kind of push back against a false statement that the president had made. And that really worried me just in the sense that like, if he can't push back against this thing that he could have said like, oh, perhaps the president misspoke. Just something that innocuous would have meant like, okay, we can all acknowledge that was an absolutely egregious error to state publicly. But rather than do that, he just kept saying, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask. Right right, but don't you think this thing he said was really dangerous and inaccurate? You know wear a mask and wash your hands and and when you can social when you can't social distance, think about wearing a mask that's about as tough as they'll get. but this is the fDA this is supposed to be removed. this is supposed to be a body that we can trust and i, I don't know, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the vaccine. If I found out like the USA beat everyone else and has a vaccine, I would not trust these trials. I would feel like that person remove some red tape to appease the person who he feels like is his boss, not the people that he serves. And so I'm, I'm one of those weird tinfoil hat people like this, vi- this vaccine has got to come from a multitude of countries and or somewhere else, but not us first. I will not trust it. Does that make me insane? I, oh
2: boy, I don't know, but I do. So I I don't know and I'm going to dodge the question, but I am going to uh, point out something that I think is incredibly interesting, which is, There is a very large movement in this country um, of people saying what we need to do is forego the uh, traditional route of developing a vaccine um, and the kinds of clinical trials that uh, these vaccines usually go through where you, once you show that it's safe to take the vaccine and the vaccine itself doesn't cause harm. You give it to a fairly large, but not that large, group of people uh, who are healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then wait to see, compared to a comparable control group, do they get less disease? So, this is the efficacy
0: portion.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, And it's slow, right? Um, Because you have to just sort of wait until enough. People from at least the control group have gotten disease and to be able to say that, yes, it reduces the amount of infection this much um, in the case group. um, People are saying, let's uh, let's skip that. Um, We've got a very large uh, population of people who are young enough and healthy enough to not be at super serious risk from the disease itself um, who can volunteer
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and say, you know what? Give me the vaccine and give me the virus. Yeah. And this is called the Human Challenge Trial. Um, And it's something that that modern medicine does not do. Um, Just because,
1: like say I am, so with COVID, if I were a single gentleman living on my own young, healthy, yep. I could maybe look right. at it and be like, I'll beat it. And they yes. modern medicine, modern medicine wouldn't allow that nowadays just because there are these anomalies every, every so often where like it really damages someone's lungs and, or has uh, maybe their sense of smell disappears, <laughs> something like that. Would that be the the concern?
0: Well,
2: and the, so right, first of all, the vaccine isn't necessarily going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you are intentionally exposing somebody to a deadly virus. Yeah. Um, and right, your risks of dying are pretty low, but they're not, I mean, they're, they are much higher than they would be without the disease. Right. Um, but under the current circumstances, there are large numbers of people who can say, look, I know, exactly what's at risk here for both me and society at large. Um, and I'm going to sign up for that. And there's massive registries now um, specifically for this where people have gone out and signed up. Um, and so if you were developing a drug, there are now there isn't yet a, um, a sort of policy or procedure in place to make use of it, but it's as a resource of this is something we could do to shave six months a year off this development process because people really are willing to get together, um, act altruistically in the sense of, yeah, I'm going to take on a risk um, and I'm going to do it to save however many people would have died in those extra six months of waiting for a regular trial to go through. Uh,
1: When I was in... uh... When I was in Austin, and I was really trying to transition from having any kind of real job to just comedy full time, I did some of those research studies where you're like a guinea pig, and mm-hmm. you go in, they pay you for the sure. like weekend, and you know, you you know, like I would read the ones and try to do the, the where like the least impactful to potentially your long-term health so we're like oh this is a, a drug that's been approved for years we're trying to see if increasing the dosage by a half a milligram is dangerous you're like yeah i'll try that sometimes there are like these dangerous cancer drugs where you're like yeah they're offering a lot of money you're like that seems like <laughs> there's a risk there so i wouldn't do those but the sense i got was uh, and talking to some pharmaceutical people over the years that like, it just takes forever for something to get approved. And they sink so much money into trying to do it that so that's why certain drugs are so expensive because they really have to generate money to get back the number of ones they fail on. They try on, ten; it's like pitching pilots or movies or something. They fail on so many. But I would think like stage three or the the latter end of the trial, isn't that more just looking at okay, we, we feel like this is stable and everyone who has shown antibodies or that's it's working, is staying healthy. Because we see on TV so many times, did you take this drug? Did you have the, you know, it's years later, a drug that you've seen advertised. So, uh,
2: right, I mean, there's, there's two things going on there. One is the difference between um, the drug safety trials and the drug efficacy trials. Okay. All right, so the drug safety is, um, is in this case, the vaccine going to hurt you right um and right and those are kind of hard to skip through right you you start with a, a an animal model you see okay the, the mice are doing fine and the I, I don't know if people still do chimps but um, um they they did okay and now, so we had a group of like 10 volunteers um doing what you did in austin um we're gonna Pay them and try it out and watch carefully under uh, controlled situations. And then we're going to sort of ramp, okay, they did pretty much fine. Let's ramp it up and get a, a bigger group um, and then a larger group. We're going to say, well, look, the risk from the treatment itself is low. Mm-hmm. Um, and how low it is that you can determine from these kinds of trials depends on how many people you can try.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And, you know, if you're looking at a uh, one in a thousand uh, negative reaction, um, for a lot of drugs, that's probably too high. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also need, you know, a few thousand people to be able to measure that. Yeah. Um, Because you wouldn't have, you're unlikely to have seen it in the first few hundred. Um, So this is, so that's just for establishing that the drug is safe to take, the treatment is safe, the the, the vaccine isn't causing trouble, Um, then you have to do a completely other set of trials for um, efficacy. All right, it's safe to take, but does it do anything? Gotcha. Um, Does it actually prevent the disease?
0: Um,
1: (laughs) Does it actually treat the condition? When we're seeing now Uh, little... Teasers almost every f- a couple weeks or something. Bosch is showing success rates or, or Pfizer showing some positive um, vaccine developments. Is that more in the efficacy end of things? And if so, like w- how many people do they need to see? Like w- what are the parameters? Shouldn't they share that with us as well? 10,000 people have had this and n- over 9,000 have developed antibodies, something like that?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of that hasn't been um so i haven't been following too closely and I, I could be wrong but i think a lot of that hasn't been human trials at all
1: Oh, okay but they
2: that those are positive results coming out of things like uh cell lines um where you've got you know a little group of human cells growing in a petri dish um and you can infect them with a virus and you can uh treat them with drugs and uh, and things like that um so I suspect that those are not even at the stage of human trials for the most part. Okay. Um, certainly, for some of the therapeutics um, they've been doing, uh, they they have human trials. So when you have a drug that's already been shown to be safe, mm-hmm. uh, doctors are allowed to use those in um, you know, off-label uses. So okay, this drug was approved for
0: use because it's safe, um, but it was approved to treat something else. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but if there's some reason to think that it might help with this COVID patient, you are allowed to use it and you're allowed to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where um, that's where you get things like, okay, this uh, stuff from Gilead, the remdesivir, Probably mispronouncing it, um, seems to knock a couple of days off of uh, the course of the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so they, they they get to sort of skip that first half of the
0: uh, the drug safety uh, trial because it's already done. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so they are in some ways skipping right to let's try see if there's efficacy. And they're not doing that as a big clinical trial. Um, They are actually, you got a sick patient, and the patient isn't doing well. You're allowed to try something.
1: Is that just Um, doctors watching the show House, and they come out to the family waiting in the waiting room and go, we're out of ideas, this might work. And the family goes, yeah, yeah, do whatever. And then they remdesivir, and it works. And then another doctor tries it, and then they spread the word. Is it that cowboyish, or is it more like this is based on... Previous, some sort of efficacy that it showed in a trial or a previous patient with a similar breathing problem is like where does it originate?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's an antiviral uh, therapy. Um, You know, the the idea that this is sort of the kind of drug you might want to start looking at um, doesn't take a huge leap of insight. So it's it's not a wild and crazy idea to be making these leaps. It wasn't even a wild and crazy idea to say maybe the hydroxychloroquine uh, would help. But there, you know, people understand something about the biology of what these drugs do and how they affect people and there was a thought that, well, this mechanism of drug action might be useful.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, At this point, there have been enough people Uh, Who they've given the Treatment to um, To show that no it doesn't really help Yeah Um, And that the side effects are bad enough That we don't Want to keep trying it Yeah Um, right. we've, We've sort of ruled out it being a great Drug And we've shown that it's not a completely Safe drug So this sort of Room left where it might be somewhat Helpful but not great isn't Sort of a place where we want to sort of throw human lives. Yeah. But there are certainly other things that people are exploring along those lines where they say, look, there's a reason to believe that this could help. Uh, it's a reasonable hypothesis. Um, and as more and more doctors try it and share what they've found, um, as well as more um, systematic uh, clinical trials. Uh, more and more information comes out about what these drugs can
1: and can't do okay so i i guess two questions from that and i think they're quick answers one and you speak on behalf of yourself your views are your own you don't represent the institution that you work for I, and i don't
2: necessarily know what i'm talking about
1: yeah <laughs> True. yeah um the first being going back to the beginning of that that if uh of in the beginning when they said you know a vaccine would be available and in well into 2020 at the earliest because you need 14 to 18 months now they're talking about right. by the end of the year if a vaccine yeah. happens would you trust whether it's the fda or whoever and be first in line to take it or would you kind of hang back what would your thoughts be there
2: clearly you know it's the amount of people who need to be vaccinated is uh, is a ridiculously large number <laughs> right right it's essentially everybody
0: mm-hmm.
2: um So it's clearly not going to start with you and me, young, healthy, relatively young, (laughs) relatively healthy, um, people who can stay home and not, you know, we're not at a high risk group, either for contracting the disease or for having a particularly bad outcome. Um, So the vaccine really shouldn't start with us.
1: Mm Yeah, that's a uh, good point. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm going to uh, take it or not when uh, I'm at the very back of the line.
2: I, right. So, uh, you know, it's, there are certainly people for whom it's probably an easier call where you say, you know, the risks are really high. Um, maybe the vaccine isn't as great as it should be, but we've we got to get some treatments out to all the nurses working at the uh, nursing care facilities. Mm-hmm. We've got to get something out to uh, all the guys at the meatpacking plants. We've got to, right? I mean, there's, there's people who are suffering so terribly from the virus um, and the risks the virus poses. Um, and there's going to be limited amounts of whatever vaccines out there at least for a while
0: yeah.
2: I and mean, making the stuff is not trivial administering. It's not trivial. Getting it out. There's not trivial. Make sure you got enough syringes is, I mean, um, the, the logistics of actually getting everybody vaccines is, is hard. Um, and I would very much look forward to having a, uh, responsible government that can, <laughs> Plan and enact something yeah. uh, to do it, um, and I suppose this is yet another piece of privilege where uh, I don't have to volunteer to be first in line to rely on such a uh, a, a vaccine. Um, yeah, and by the time it gets to me, <laughs> it's probably going to be pretty well uh, established.
1: Yeah. So the second question goes to, like, this weird sort of hope that I guess we're still, you know, all of us holding out. We've seen hydroxychloroquine maybe be a thing, and then the hope kind of diminishes there. And remdesivir is more when people are intubated or on a ventilator, like, critical care. So it's not something like, oh, you got the... Well, it's,
2: you know, it's certainly being used that way, but that's partly because of it's not an approved treatment. You know, when you're trying out some... Oh, yeah idea that hasn't been fully established you try it out on the people who are largely at options
1: right yeah that'll sign something that says like even if they're coherent enough to sign something maybe the family is at that point like in control saying yeah try whatever i get what you're saying that they have a little yeah, more so freedom I, there To you know i don't think
2: we know how all of these drugs will eventually be used as therapeutics
1: uh-huh. um, so that but I you, guess that certainly is certainly the
2: case that so far it's being used on uh, patients where things are looking awfully grim.
1: Yeah, that answers my question then that these kind of, you know, early on epidemiologists saying if everyone could freeze in place six feet apart from each other for two weeks, it would disappear. It would just totally disappear. And then we go, well, we can't do that. And more than any place on earth, this country was like, we're not even going to try to do that. We're going to keep pressing ahead and squeezing past each other at the grocery store to grab a can of beans and whatever else. And then the, so I guess the, because trials for efficacy could only be administered like Remdesivir, like at the latter stages, there's really nothing that can burst on the scene maybe someone's going to go, I'm telling you Sudafed's working or something crazy, but the chances of that are pretty slim, right? We are kind of at a waiting pretty, game for a vaccine. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I right. Vaccines and, and the kinds of therapeutics that, um, like, um, remdesivir may sort of make the overall progression of the disease easier and more manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can knock down those, uh, sort of negative outcomes, by 50%, um, that would be great.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know, it doesn't lift the ball, but it, uh, it sure makes sort of day-to-day risks a lot more manageable and, and the kinds of things where you might say, okay, well, yeah, you know, we can essentially absorb many more people getting sick because the health will get better.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, switching gears, I don't know if you have time still to address the, 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 sure. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. So, cause this, the, the, the tie-in that I would think of, or the, the kind of a, a segue would be that this virus is predominantly impacting negatively and killing, and you know, it's, it's much more devastating to communities of color, people with less income, at least in the united states this has been catastrophic like a really magnifying look at our our healthcare, which could go back all the way to the origins of this country and its roots with racism and slavery and how we kind of operate as a whole which would then go back to racism people in a position of power with a certain skin tone saying we are better and that feeling that sentiment still prevailing that there are people going my skin tone means i'm better which um, i'll do a little ramble here that I'll, that I'll let you take away but my thoughts are that if yeah. we're, if we're eliminating kind of an ancient aliens scenario and we are just looking at it as the primordial ooze if we're going to go that far back and the evolution of everything, from single-celled organisms, to mammals, to walking on two legs, to our common ancestor, to our relationship with primates, to Sub-Saharan Africa, and the Fertile Crescent, and humans evolving at that point, being black. Human beings being black with features that we still see today, wider noses, and uh, darker complexion, darker eyes, Humans move away from there, walk away, cross the Bering Strait, spread out all over the world, and different adaptations happen that don't change the species. They change features of it so that lighter eyes start to appear, which I want to ask you about because I don't understand why that wouldn't have happened elsewhere as it has no fundamental Ability to to make anything better. It's just a different color. Uh, noses maybe narrow. Um, different diets change the complexion or melanin levels in the skin tone. And then we lack the ability, though, to to see ourselves and go, "Oh, there we are. That's where we started." We see a totally different group. The the people that came back with maybe now they had guns or they had some sort of new technology. They look in and they see people still living in the place where humanity originated from and they go look at those savages we're better than them as opposed to looking at saying, like oh shit that's us look look how much we've changed not like college kids or something coming home and like mom look at me i'm so different now but this is home humanity would be so much different if that's how we viewed it that we went like oh home is still the same but look our travels have changed us that to me is, and I guess there are differentiations like forensic files will bring up. You could look at human remains and and make distinctions between um, a few different types. You could maybe narrow it down to like, this was person was of Latin descent. This person um, was maybe more like African-American. This person is just a standard white person, but overall as a genetic sample, we are still the same exact species. So,
2: I appreciate your broader point. Um, I, I'm going uh, to, I'm going to, uh, let's see, um, disagree with a little of your characterization about the species and being the same. Okay. So first part of the problem is that, uh, the word species itself is um, is kind of a problematic one. Okay. Right? In, in, it, it's not especially well-defined. It's very much a, um, we know it when we see it, kind of phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, Darwin writes his book, The Origin of Species. Right? Because you go out and you look around the world, And you see not a smooth gradient of every kind of creature and every kind of in-between thing that could possibly exist, but you see discrete different groups of different kinds of creatures.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And it turns out that uh, if you ask a... um, a modern ornithologist that count the number of species in uh, a particular habitat. And you ask just some guy who's been living there for a while. And you ask um, the native peoples who've been on that land for, uh, for thousands of years, you get essentially the same answer, right? Mm-hmm. There are this many different kinds and they're sort of obviously different and there are these groups um, and they're distinct mm-hmm. that's what a species is um, so it's a real thing in the sense that clearly it's a phenomenon that happens there are distinct groups of organisms
1: but if i were um, if i'm that guy living on the land and i go yeah. oh there's caimans there's crocodiles there's alligators would i know that or am i a guy going like oh there's those crawly teethy things i guess there's a whole you, can, bunch you of them.
2: can call them, them whatever you want if you've been paying attention you'll see that actually there's a couple different kinds mm-hmm. there, are there 30 different kinds no you say there are i can there's like five different things out here mm-hmm. and then somebody else will come by and say yeah that's five different well maybe these two things are the same mm-hmm. for somebody else might say well yeah it's five actually these two things you were lumping together i can see a difference there so maybe there's six um but by and large everybody will agree that these are roughly the lines that um, divide distinct kinds of things Mm -hmm. and since and the thing that lets everybody agree about this is that there really is sort of real distinctions between them but that's not a thing right that's um that's a clearly there's a common phenomenon there that everybody's looking at, but it doesn't actually tell you what a species is. And it gets particularly difficult if you want to say, let's compare these guys over in this swamp to this other swamp on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there are things that look similar, um, but all of a sudden like they're never together together. Nobody's ever put them together. Nobody would have reason to try to figure out if they're the same or different.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And it gets worse if you're talking about what happens through time. Um, So you can draw these pictures of trees and things and say, well, you know, um, the uh, ancestors of modern humans uh, split off from the ancestors of modern chimpanzees 8 million years ago um, and then we had two species but then you've got 8 million years of time um, in which these things are changing uh, but, but you can't compare a modern human to an ancestor four million years ago and ask a meaningful question about, are they the same
1: species? Well, I guess Um, getting into early homo sapien or whatever you would call the final step that we identify as we're still homo sapien.
2: Right. So, you know, but we, we define those as, um, in contrast to something else.
1: Okay. So we're not Australopithecus, or we're, you know, uh,
2: Uh, right. And, and you can even say, well, for the most part, we're not Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we 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 understand the boundaries of where we are the same and where we are different. Um, but it gets a lot more difficult to say, but are we the same as uh, the population of anatomically modern humans from fifty thousand years ago? I mean, those are our direct ancestors.
1: But we are they descended related? from them. They're a lot shorter right?
2: There are anatomical differences and there are genetic differences. There's um, There are alleles that uh, have risen to higher frequency now um, that didn't exist then. There are alleles that have been lost from the population. Um, so we, I mean, we are not the same organisms. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't have the same genomes and
1: wait, when you say when, genome, like, so you're, you're going back, but like where, where would you say pre Neanderthal? Like, where are we as humans? So we, we have, would you call that a mutation that we, or, or a or full on evolution that from that early, early stage of pre, the early? Well, and, say,
2: evolution is always happening. Okay. Right. Um, let's take as a definition Uh, evolution is the change in the composition of a gene pool through time. Okay. Um, Some of that change. And so um, it's worth highlighting that this is a definition of evolution that applies to a population or a group, not to an individual.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And an individual doesn't evolve a a group does. Um, Some of that evolution will be, Uh, new mutations arising. Um, So new things that hadn't been there before are there now. Uh, Those are mutations.
1: Would you, so like blonde hair or or blue eyes or something like that, is that what uh, draws people? Is that what creates this like, well, early on, Skin tone was dark. Hair was dark. This thing was the most bizarre thing to happen, and it became what, like, a desirable trait or something, or something that people could take some level of pride or become kind of uh, separatist about. Is, is that something that would that would be a, a defining or deciding trait or something like that?
2: I, you know, so there's um, there's this sort of secondary a phenomenon where there's a real distinction between you're talking about um, adaptation, right? Um, So a new mutation by itself isn't necessarily good or bad, Mm -hmm. right? It can increase your fitness. It can decrease your fitness. um, Or it can do nothing and it just changes something. Um, It might change something on a microscopic level. It might be on a macroscopic level, all sorts of different mutations. Mm -hmm. But when you get into the phenomenon of um, behavior and things that change how we interact with other people, there's a very subtle relationship between what we can perceive and act on and all of the other things that are linked, uh, genetically linked to that variation. Um, So similarly to the way you can say, you know what, the sewers really stink. Let's cover them over. And by doing so, you actually eradicate a lot of disease, not because you made things smell better, but because you've covered over a sewer and the sewer was correlated with uh, the disease vector. Mm-hmm. When you get into this phenomenon of things like sexual selection um, and assortative mating, um, where there are both outward visible characteristics, but also uh, genetic variation that is linked to those traits, you can change all sorts of stuff sort of by looking at the wrong thing mm-hmm. or um, and and even when it's not just linked variation, you know most mutations don't do just one thing. so like, like our, uh, our optimality curves, you know, if you've got a variant that makes your legs grow faster so you're taller quicker and can run faster, uh, but also increases your risk of cancer.
0: yeah.
2: Um, You have all sorts of complicated phenomena that come into play, um, um, including sort of what's what's good in the short term, what's good in the long term, and the person sort of doing the perceiving. And if you're not sort of waiting for natural selection to just do its thing, but are
0: deciding for yourself, this is good, I like it. This is
2: bad, I don't mm-hmm. that you can have a very uh tangential an idea that's very tangentially related to the actual quality or beneficial uh nature of any particular variation
1: okay i so, I, so my uh, my thing so is let's, like, let's let's cycle it back
2: around though right we've got you know a, the ancestor of the common ancestor of uh Apes uh, had pale skin. Um, The common ancestor of humans had dark skin. Um, Some of the humans that left Africa developed light skin again. A lot of these characteristics are changing all the time
3: throughout. Mm -hmm. uh,
2: Throughout, you know, no um, no zoologist would make any meaningful uh, distinction among large groups of organisms by pigmentation. It's one of the most rapidly changing traits you have sort of in all of the animal world. (laughs) Organisms change colors all the time.
1: So when you're looking Um, at humans in the last, say, 100,000 years, and that's a blink of an eye, it's a quick sample, is there, it's easier, again, going to privilege as white guys to look at it and say, like, well, things have... people of this skin tone have fared better throughout however like the the inherent like chaos among it or the you know the pride that comes with it or whatever uh would be laughable from what you're saying like looking at it and examining an organism or you know to say like skin pigment that's what they were basing it on this is it's so fluid it's changing all the time
2: right it's uh um it's such a uh it's such a nothing characteristic, right? <laughs> um, except for the fact that you know we spend a lot of time looking at stuff, and we could see it really easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, there's little that matters less uh, <laughs> than exactly what shade you are. I mean, that's why, like you know you don't go to the to the pet store. <laughs> And you know the well, um, you know I'm either going to get the black poodle or the black lab or this black kitten because um, I don't like the orange animals. Yeah, like that's that's not a meaningful way of describing
1: animals. <laughs> well, what about things though that can be assigned to them? And I apologize, anyone listening, if something in here sounds um, like nails on a chalkboard or entirely um, misguided or ignorant, but th- these are the, these are things I'd like to know and maybe we don't know, or may- and if everyone does know and they're like, you such an idiot, but th- so the pigment or, you know, like to align, it's just something that's irrelevant or unassociable. What about things that we can associate? Like, so the sprinting team, the U.S. sprinting team, we would mostly see black sprinters and maybe there's more quick to twitch muscle. Uh, if we saw a white sprinter, no one would want to talk about it, but people would kind of go, oh, that's, that's different. I guess we can't address this, but that's different. Uh, and maybe swimming. There was a black swimmer in the most recent Olympics on the U.S. team and it was a big deal. Like, people were really excited about the representation, myself included. I think, you know, the di- diversity there, needs to happen and you could say like well is that an affluence thing is, are people that are have more access to competitive swimming pools is that all that is or is there something genetically we would look at i would think with sprinting perhaps there is and it just happens to coincide with the skin tone or am i way off here and this is just com- completely I right so you
2: know it it probably will have very little to do with skin tone um in the sense that, or in, at least in the sense that you mean, right? If you're going to decide divide society up into um, black, white, and some sort of brown, mm-hmm. um, then genetically speaking, everybody's black, <laughs> right? I mean, the amount of diversity of people who would not fall into that category um so who would be something other than black um, is sort of genetically insignificant.
1: Mm-hmm. We're all the same. So does, um, that, go, does the, that then go the to... The amount of know? genetic diversity within the group of people you would describe as black
2: is massive. It's sort of all of the diversity of humanity. Um, so in, in some ways that's... Um, when, when you so if the competition isn't fair in that sense, genetically of saying, well, you know, the white team's going to get its ass handed to it every time. Um, if there's an even playing field here, Mm -hmm. because the black team's drawing from so much more, uh, population and diversity and, uh, opportunity. Uh, so you, you sort of, that, uh, now, if you want to point out that not all uh, not all black people have the same skin tone, um, is probably a reasonable place to start. Um, that the amount of diversity in pigmentation within Africa is incredibly huge. Um, some are very pale skin, some are super dark, um, and
0: that
2: if you draw this sort of line between Caucasian and essentially everybody else, and you know, colored mm-hmm. um, people of color, like that's you've already um, thrown in the towel and said, Well, we're going to take this one tiny little group of under melanized people and And so why, and they're all the same and they're all pretty closely related. Um, Why would they be any better at anything than sort of the rest of the universe of humanity?
1: Does that Uh, come back in some way? Like, so I gave my little um, allegory or whatever you will, like analogy of kind of the college kid coming back to... Oh, home, and this is where we're from. Kind of, does that is that what that kind of ties to? That there are these different alleles that have show up, or are these kind of things? Well, that have... I mean,
2: um, it's. I feel like uh, you know, as white people, we are this one weird little family, um, and we've gone off and done something but it's this sort of one small little group Um, it's almost like you know some uh, right it's like if the um, you know the extended Bush clan um, sort of look around and say you know what Everybody else is a bunch of chumps. <laughs> we've had, you know, most of the last presidents of the United States. Um, we've really got this figured out. We should just keep running the place. Um, and well, yeah, they, they are in some ways different. Um, they're not a different species. They, they have their own new homeland in Texas somewhere. Um, and they do perhaps share some characteristics at higher frequencies than you see elsewhere. Um, but everybody else is everybody else, um, and is sort of effectively everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and yeah, they can look down their noses on everybody if they want. Um, but it's kind of silly um, but it's not really that different from, you know, the people in South Carolina looking at New York going through a terrible uh, bout of COVID and saying, "Well, that sucks to be them." Right. Uh, and four months later, their hospitals are all shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to see people as other. Yeah. Especially when it sort of falls along the family lines um
1: i guess in the biggest sense though do you look at it as maybe this is a way that i've just reconciled myself to be like this is a bad species people look at the complete genocide of first nation people here specifically in this country but canada as well like a horrific track record of removal of people and you can say oh man i i look at that as like that's what this species does it's always kind of been doing that it'll keep doing i don't think it's maybe it's specific because traditionally the people that did it had a skin tone that we would say like oh i wish i didn't have one that was similar to that however the people that were here natively fought with each other prior to that like that we are a species birthed out of fighting over the land fighting over each other and just it's I know survival of the fittest is...
2: All species do that, right? I mean, what's different is that we sometimes care about it. (laughs) Uh, Right? and I mean, that's that's probably a really good thing. Um, It might not be good enough, right? Evolution mostly works by exterminating species. Mm -hmm. And species go extinct all the time. Um, There's no reason to think humans will still be here in a hundred thousand years. We've only been here for some tens of thousands of years. Um, You know, are we closer to our origins than our demise? Probably not. Right. Um, No, no special reason to think so. Yeah. Um, So yeah. I mean, I don't know that we stick out as a particularly bad species, but there's also no reason to think we're a particularly good one. (laughs) Um, Except for the fact that I think that we can recognize that, um, you know, I don't know that there are other species that can contemplate their own extinction uh, the way we can um, and to perhaps do something about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: We're not necessarily doing a whole lot about it right now, um, but we've got the wherewithal uh just not necessarily the gumption
1: <laughs> but does that it sounds like you have like this weird sense of zen about it where i picture you just like on a rocking chair like well there the wolves go tearing all of the antelope and deer to shreds the bears are chipping in as well that's not going to work out great for either of those groups oh and here we are drilling off over there and fracking and fighting each other and entrapping and people or and going back years past like enslaving people and that's way back humans the kind of an inherent nature of like all right we beat you in war now you're on our team we need your, your help making stuff and just looking at that like yeah, yeah it's just what these species do they're every species is kind of jockeying for position and if you, I, it's either Zen or cynical to just be like, "That's just what this planet is." To fight against that and hope that we're just going to all sit around and be like, "All right, we're we're being nice." Seems- well, so
2: look, I'm not going to uh, complain about the wolf eating the uh, the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same token, I would set up a preserve to make sure that there's still some deer around. Yeah, and that they don't all get eaten. And I will set up the preserve to make sure we've still got some wolves around. Um, and I will do that because I like having a world with both deer and wolves in it. Uh, and similarly, um, like I feel bad about the war and destruction and horrible things that people are doing. Um, not because I think it is an unnatural thing, um, but because we could do better and...
0: Um it would be nice if we did.
1: <laughs> that's really poetic. I like it. I mean it's people look at it and maybe can dream of a future where we've and if like you're saying if skin tone and pigment is always just this thing that's eluding us and I think you know the first people that were of like skin tone and then their child came out dramatically different they're like well that's something we have this weird vague idea that the future is going to be kind of a Tiger Woods or Tyra Banks skin tone and everyone will be homogenized that way that seems laughable but I think the reason look people look toward that is this positive like ah, then we'll finally all get along because there'll be no differentiation and if If, like you were just saying, there's something about learning from our mistakes, of having passion, of working through things, of, if we were still alive then, to be like the college kids coming home, if we were alive then, you and I would be like, you know, yeah, it's better now, but there's also something missing, which is like a true, we worked our our shit out. We had to figure it out. And there was something in that 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 felt progressive. It felt like we were doing something.
2: Right, and, you know, it's... In, you know, my uh, uh, optimistic vision is uh, is more that as people sort of experience diversity, it becomes less threatening mm-hmm. as a thing itself. Yeah. Um, that if you grow up in a community of people with your skin tone, it can be jarring to see somebody else. Uh, who looks different Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to see them as other. But if you grow up in a community that has all sorts of different people doing all sorts of different things, uh, it's much easier to say, well, this is what we are.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And, and, and not just in terms of, right. I mean, this is how you get, Sort of acceptance of people with different gender identities and people with um, different uh, aesthetics and people with they say okay these all are options that seem to work fine yeah and unless somebody else is making trouble about it then it's all good yeah and and it becomes sort of personally liberating which means that. I guess I can do anything I want to mm-hmm. um, and I can pick and choose and do whatever seems comfortable and change my mind. And, uh, and I, and, and it's not this sort of external pressure to do just one thing in just one way, which
1: sort of limits you and distances other people. Yeah. I like it, man. I've, as we're, you know, protesting and fighting for civil rights and equal rights i i I just laugh at the person that's doing that and going and eating at chick-fil-a after or something like that like we always get fixated on like a priority and yet kind of ignoring uh something in there like You know, there, there are lots of groups that are other, there are lots of groups that we should, I even think like, sometimes when I hear people say all lives matter, I think of the group you mentioned a bit ago, which are like the lab animals. We never talk about those lives mattering. Like they've had a harrowing last few months, undoubtedly. So there are always, there is always a group, but particularly in our species, you know, we'll get the pigment differentiation and racism involved in that. Hopefully in some way contained at least, or at least where the people that are the most obnoxious and evil and hateful have less of a platform and less of a voice. But then beyond that, there's like you said, there's so many other groups that uh, we can, we can start including in the, in the mix as well.
2: Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm mostly optimistic about stuff. I'm currently angry about a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, there's no, there's, there's no reason we can't be doing better. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's probably why I'm angry about how things are going now is that we could be doing better. (laughs) I mean, it's not just that it's really hard. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make me angry. Yeah. What makes me angry is it's really hard and it doesn't have to be. It's just people not, not sort of taking ownership of things and not, and, uh, yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> I think we all,
2: right. And, 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 and it's, uh, I don't mean that at the sort of individual level, you know, most people are doing great and doing everything they can. Uh, mm-hmm. it's where we have to sort of work together as a society and coordinate things. Um, that, that our particular political group has, uh, hasn't let us function, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a whole separate topic to get into there about, like, we're so... Um, immersed in the news. And so day to day, you go outside and people, there probably is a correlation between people's levels of depression and just hopelessness versus, have you been out? You know, yeah, you're going to run into someone yelling at you in a Costco perhaps without a mask, but you're probably going to see someone wave you through in traffic of, of remind you that you dropped something. Hey, Hey, your thing. Oh, you paid the too much. Here's the, you left this behind. Little human kindnesses constantly, and and maybe the opposite. I and mean, you get honked out in traffic, and now you're you're negative. Um, but you see enough positive things if you're just out and about in humanity that gives you like an even feel mostly. And then you you turn on the news or social media or something, and it's just all of the worst things. And it's people's opinions that even if you're like racist or homophobic or whatever. It used to be you could just be in your house and think that, and we'd go, all right, I guess technically you're allowed to think that, but knocking on their door and saying, hey, what do you think about this? Or J.K. Rowling going like, guys, here's what I think about this, and everyone being like, we don't care. Shut up. Keep that thought to yourself. It's so bananas that uh, I think that feeds into it, but we can't ever really manage it. We can't figure it all out and go, got it solved. Things are great. We're always having good days and bad days through it but uh, hopefully it sounds like you're doing a good job of staying optimistic and upbeat through it
0: yeah
2: you know and i i gotta say i think it comes back around to our original discussion which is i mean there's no there's no platonic ideal of what you're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. um there's not that that number one and if we can get to a a good solid seven uh i think I I I'm, I'm satisfied.
1: I like it. Yeah. That's our collective goal in the next generation is they will um your child, everyone that's raising kids right now, get the next generation to be like, Good news. Dad, grandpa, grandma, whoever, we're at us. we found the seven. Like we, yeah. we, we got it to a place. See, see what you can do. <laughs> I root for it. I, I just, it was even, and I'm sure it was the same there, like during the protests and stuff, such a cool collection of mostly young people. Like it was, you know, yeah. predominantly people of color, but there was every ethnicity involved and just mostly young, mostly who've just had it with the, with the prior groups before them and just like, enough of your bullshit. We're going to solve this and figure it out. And they, I, I, I'm a huge fan. So I, I do feel optimistic in that way. Yeah. Cool, man. Well. <laughs> Well, good. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, man, it's been nice chatting. And um, man, I guess when there's a vaccine out, we'll have to chat again and and gauge the uh, where our place in line is going to be and if it's um, safe to take. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, permanent hat, July thirty first, Michelle Balloon. and your better half, you're both equally great halves, uh, Dr. Alex Platt. I hope school gets back safely for both you as, a, as an instructor as well as for your child. And um, good luck. Stay safe. And thanks for chatting, man.
2: Appreciate it. You too. All right. See ya. Bye now.
1: I should have probably at the beginning uh, prefaced that uh, some of the conversation toward the end would be potentially a little... Controversial. I don't know if that's the right word. You're probably listening. I don't think anything was crazy in there. However, the difficult thing when you're when you're recording a conversation is you're reacting in the moment, and then there's always some feeling, and I never really edit this show. I don't go back and listen through it. I think that would be uh, really challenging and likely result in me never putting out a show. Um, but if there was anything in there, maybe this is something in the world that we could all... I don't know, this could be a diatribe, but um, it seems like we're always trying to preach these ideas of being more empathetic or understanding or caring, and yet we see these ghouls and monsters in the world and everyone's reaction through social media or otherwise is like, I hope you burn in hell! I hate you! You're the worst! Well, that's not going to lure anyone over. That's not going to get them to sit down at a table with you and potentially explain The psychosis or whatever it is that causes them to be so reprehensible. So, can we look and see people like that and say, "Hey, what's your story? Can we find some common ground here? Let me let me sit with you a moment, maybe empathize with your education, your upbringing, your history, whatever it is that resulted in this thing that is currently sitting across from me that I, in principle, despise, but I'd rather not come at it with hate or anger, but instead. Uh, try to approach it with some level of uh, decency or kindness. So anyway, what I'm getting at is if something bothered you, rather than be like, I'm I'm done forever, get in touch. Let me know if something did bother you or or seemed, um, I don't know, to jostle you or make you feel unpleasant. I hope that wasn't the case. I hope it was enlightening or helpful. And I'd look at it like as a class. It was just, uh, especially there toward the end, the bit we talked about genetics playing a part in race and the species that is humanity, uh, it was like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. So if that were a college course, that's just a quick introduction. So I'd like to get more geneticists on it's, you know, not to say that's going to happen, but I'd like to. So if you know someone particularly are particularly if they are a person of color, uh, get in touch with me, I'd love to chat with them and get more and more input on the world we live in, who we are, what makes us how we are. And then eventually, I guess we'll have to get into sociology and even more anthropology to figure out what is going on with humans and why are we the way we are? Why are people within that group or species, which again, as Alex said, is a, a kind of a broad term, so disparately different and some of them so evil and mean, hurtful, etc., like to be a better group, right? I think everyone listening to this show, maybe I give that too much credit because I don't really hear from everyone all that often. Although I got an email after I mentioned some chainsaw stuff from a couple people. One of them, my guy Tony, works in a chainsaw shop. That made me real excited to hear uh, someone working on chainsaws was listening to this show because I was obsessed with chainsaws. Uh, recently, not so as as much. I, I got it running and f- figured it out. I still need to sharpen the chain. But anyway, nice to hear from you guys from time to time. So again, if something um, didn't make sense, or you have further questions, or if it n- offended you in some way, let me know. Or let me know who to get on the show that could um, shed even more light on it. And let's t- t- tackle this topic and or subject in a way where we all feel knowledgeable and enlightened. And if nothing... Uh, raised your hackles at all well then disregard all this this was not necessary but as always thanks to dr platt he's great really enjoy the way he communicates information we'll get michelle on as well remember permanent hat july 31st depending on when you're listening to this you can always get it if you're listening before the 31st well you gotta wait a bit but there's a good chance you're listening after that date and you're like oh nice that's already out i don't have to wait so go get it. She's really funny. You'll enjoy it. This is some music sent to me from Chris Pritham. Sends music from time to time. And uh, I like it. This one jumped out at me. I feel like it fits the flow of our show, our tone, out here in this cave, in the furthest reaches of our known universe, safely tucked away, removed from the chaos and um, all the worries. So hopefully... You're feeling nice and calm and relaxed and ready to venture back into that, this will send you across that threshold. It's called Minds by Sean August. I hope I'm saying that right. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for stopping by the space gate.
3: Little city of minds. look what you did to me. Little oh, hey. look what hey. you to me. Hey. Oh. Too many laws and religions, too many thoughts and opinions from realists and pretenders. Which one do I believe in? Victims and offenders. Go to war on surrender. It's a system just to keep us up oh, this, little In this little city of mines. This little city, oh, city of mines. This, this, oh, this, oh, oh, this, oh, oh, this little city oh, my of mines. This little city 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 of mines. This little city, i oh, Too Mars. many bitch niggas, not enough hoes. Too many baby showers, but nobody jumps to the room. A low for church services, too many funerals, captured down the block, let us people through, had to buy a new suit just to sit in the pew. Next to the homie mama, open casket, she did view. So I lent to my shoulder, told her word to scoot over. Since words can't make it better. I won't say nothing, I just hold her when she screamed, Oh, this city is so cold. Does pour his dick around Make a mother choose to kill a child It's not designed to let his niggas out This little city your mine This little city of mind This little city your mind This little city your mine This little city of mine oh, This little city oh, of oh, this little city like mind this little city of mine this little city of of minds I remember church was the cornerstone now every church is by corner stuff. Oh, so you telling me when disaster strikes, they would go and knock on each oh, other's door. Oh, oh, to praying for oh, sin, saints oh, paying for gin. Oh, 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 pay oh, oh, Who really graphs? Oh, oh, clerks oh, or the ref oh, This city is I not a city of God, not a city of angels. This city of This runs. little city of minds. This 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 little city of mines. 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 When you come to California, know your colors, know the corners. When you go to NYC, know which borough, know your streets, and when you go. Know which way to link your head. This little city of mine, city of mine is everywhere you're at this little city of mice this little city of mice this little city of mice this little city of ofce this little city of mice this little city of mice this little city of mice this little city of mice